0: afternoon i hope you guys are having a fantastic sunday i know i am and this is going to be an interesting episode because a lot of good stuff has been happening this week in the world of comics i know very different from last week when we had to deal with spider-man anyway i hope this is continuing to be a good trend because i don't know about you but i'm really getting tired of So-and-so comics here and there, but like I said, good week. Anyway, speaking of which, we're going to go ahead and dive right in and talk about AXE issue number 5. Like many people, I was actually very surprised that issue number 5 came out about a week after issue number 4. Or was it two weeks? I think it was a week. Anyway, this starts off with a banger. Honestly, this entire issue was fantastic. I mean... Now, this comic starts off a lot better than the previous comic, which honestly I felt was really rushed, especially when it came to uh, how they ended Uranos. Anyway, uh, the civilians, like I said previously, they were rioting. Now a lot of them are going back to their families, hugging them, trying to spend as much time as they can. Some are actually helping people and one lady, the one who lost her daughter, is seen holding a cup of coffee. Well, a couple cups of coffee. Uh, she went, goes and sits next to Captain America, who's kind of in a slump. He, uh, She sits down and they begin to talk, and they talk about their life, what brought them there, and Captain America says he has a bad habit of trying to inspire hope in a hopeless situation to which she says it's not a bad habit, and they actually have an actual conversation which is nice it really shows how well thought out this conversation was especially when it came to the writing and it felt real and it actually i don't know if it's any more possible humanized captain america even more after their uh talking nightcrawler teleports in and asks captain america if he wants to give the false god a piece of his mind Captain America apologizes that he has to cut the conversation short, and he asks if Nightcrawler can teleport him to the North Pole. Nightcrawler makes a quip, and they start teleporting. After a quick few minutes, they end up in the North Pole, all the way from New York. Honestly, that just proves that Nightcrawler has gotten significantly stronger. Anyway, Captain America uh, goes ahead, walks up to... This false god and everyone is listening to Captain America through a psychic link established by both Xavier and Jean Grey. He tells everyone that they are Avengers now and they need to fight. And he basically points out that the god is false into demeaning them. And he says to the world avenge him as the celestial blasts both of Nightcrawler and Captain America killing them. Nightcrawler, of course, being a mutant, gets resurrected and asks if the plan worked, and they said yes. Everyone begins to prepare for battle. The Eternals mention that they cannot fight the Eternal directly unless they're under the control of someone, and Destiny basically comes up with a plan that she says is their only salvation. They begin to attack with Phoenix, Starbrand, Iron Man, the Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, and a bunch of other heroes to fight this thing. They also use the Hexes that were under Uranus' control against the Celestial. Now, this is interesting. The Celestial comments that these things were made to fight against someone like him. But he comments that he is unlike any prey they have ever faced and begins destroying the Hexes, winning. Now, of course, this was a distraction made by the heroes to launch their strongest attacks from his side, without him basically knowing. Now, while they're attacking, this gives Thor the opportunity to swing his hammer and do some actual damage. Because who's better to fight a god than a god? The Celestial, having enough, basically kills everybody, or at least almost everybody, frying them. Mostly uh, the heroes that were killed were Thor, Captain Marvel, Jean Grey, Phoenix, Wolverine, and a lot more heroes. Iron Man basically gets super scared and flies away because there's nothing really much he can do and escapes. The Celestial notes that there are still some alive. Nightcrawler, Fastos, Mr. Sinister, Exodius, Cersei, and Jack of Knives are all alive and with others and have a small amount of resurrection eggs which they use to resurrect Jean Grey, Wolverine, and a couple of others. A group of them agree that they need to act and attack the Celestial but with more of a scalpel instead of just attacking him with a hammer, which means they have to be a lot more discreet. A group of their strongest go while the others plan an attack with the smartest of the bunch to basically come up with a plan. Once the team gets there, the ones that are supposed to be attacking the Celestial, they note that the Celestial knows that someone is there. So one of them, Jack of Knives, basically uh, goes out and gets the Celestial attention. Now, uh, it's funny because Jack of Knives was one of the Eternals sent to kill uh, Hope, uh, the person responsible for the whole resurrection thing or one of them. So him and Wolverine have a little bit of banter where he says, I like what the uh, guys in Stars says. Avenge me and stab the Celestial and he gets blasted killing, getting killed. Uh, one thing that was very interesting is that when we go back to the others exodia says that they need to resurrect scott but nightcrawler says that it is not scott that they need what they need is going to be against their culture of who they get to resurrect and they resurrect freaking captain america now this ending is crazy especially since this means they had the power to resurrect humans all along but said nothing Now, this is going to be continued in AXE Avengers Issue 1. And this should be a very interesting comic. Because if they're able to resurrect Captain America, that means they're basically been holding out on the world. And if this gets out, will cause a lot of nations to be even angrier at Kroika for basically lying to them. And I have no idea how this is going to affect freaking Xavier, Who's basically been, I don't know, want to say evil, but very malicious these past couple years with the nation, with him being able to walk, and him being completely different than where he was before. So, who knows what's going to happen, but with this truth, oh, I can't wait. I was uh, talking to a couple people saying that the one person who'd probably go after them to resurrect somebody is Punisher because in his recent run, Punisher was able to resurrect his wife, but not his kids, just because they weren't alive long enough more than they've been dead. So, basically, they were too young, and they can't resurrect someone that young. So, who knows? I can't wait to see what happens, and what this means for after the event. Continuing with Marvel, we're going to be talking about Iron Cat issue number three. Now, this comic leaves off with both Stark and Felicia on the boat, and Felicia's ex, uh, Tamara, stops causing the boat to shake. Tony reveals that all the guests are LMD robots and have weapons aimed at her. But Tamara reveals that Madame Menace, a.k.a. Sunset Brain, an evil AI, has infiltrated his network and has controls over his LMD robots. And this is what makes it funnier. She was, uh, before she became an AI, Tony's ex, which he comments that his ex is also trying to kill him with super science. He has trouble taking down his robots because he specifically made them to take down an iron suit, so this kind of uh, turned the tables on him. Felicia says she has a plan, but asks Tony not to get mad. He reluctantly agrees. She reveals that she had her men break into his factory and make her another suit. He is mad, but he's too busy beating the LMDs and taking out his anger at them. Uh, Felicia and Tamara fight, and Tony, after beating the LMDs, warns Tamara that he will blow a hole in her chest if she doesn't surrender. Madame Menace says he will do it and convinces her to free her from her prison. Uh, she helps, and when after she does, she reveals that she's going to put Tamara's revenge plan on hold to destroy the world. Now, that's where the comic ends, and this was another fun comic and just hilarious to see how Felicia has gotten the edge up on Iron Man once again. And the chemistry between Tony and Felicia is amazing. Now, I can't wait to read issues number four and five, but I feel like going with the whole, oh, the world is about to end thing was kind of lazy. But then again, they might have a plan. I've been enjoying the run so far, so going to give it a chance. Really going to give it a chance here. But uh, that's it for Marvel, so we're going to jump on to DC. Now, this is going to be talking about DC's War of the Undead Gods, issue number 2. Now, I've been waiting for this comic for about a month because, like I said before, I love this series and love how dark it can get. Now, speaking of which, let's go ahead and jump in. So, Mr. Miracle and Barda go to New Genesis to pick up their son who was left in the care of the new gods. When they reach there, they see that everything has been destroyed, and they see a black boom tube. Barda attempts to go in to see about saving her son, but is stopped by the Black Racer, aka the Death God of Speedsters. Anyway, he pulls her back and warns her that if she would have went in, she would have perished, and she would have become an undead again, which would not have been good for anyone. He explains that the new gods have fallen victim to the anti-life equation. He explains that these dark tubes, boon tubes, are now dubbed dune tubes, and only allow the dead and those affected by the anti-life equation to enter and go as they please. The comic shifts to a planet being destroyed by undead dark side. They cry out for help, and this planet is actually the home planet of Sinestro. He hears their cries, and him and his yellow lancers go to attack. They attempt to blast the planets, but are stopped by his daughter, who is a Green Lantern, and her husband, Kyle Rayner. Now, I've never really called Kyle Rayner an idiot until now, but I get that he didn't know what was happening until it was too late. So it was kind of like a, oh God, it's one of those situations where they don't know what's going on and they're actually stopping the good guys here. But anyway, uh, Sinestro explains, because the Green Lanterns also heard the cry for help, that they're not the ones attacking it. Out of nowhere, Supergirl comes in, knocks out Kyle, and flies towards World War, which is a cybernetic planet that Sinestro had been using and brought to help attack the planet. She infects it with the anti-life equation and begins to attack the Yellow Lanterns. Darkseid comes up from the planet and attacks Sinestro. Him and his daughter hold back his unabeams for a short bit until Supergirl punches his daughter and Sinestro takes the blast. Now, Kyle, thank God, comes to and tells uh, Soranek, Sinestro's daughter, that they have to go. Before she leaves, Sinestro tells her to run and survive as his head is getting ripped off his body by Darkseid and they escape. Yeah, it gets brutal. Anyway, while this is happening, the heroes are talking about whether or not they can trust Brainiac. Guy Gardner puts up some amusing banter, and as a peace offering, Brainiac offers up Kandor, the last living city of Krypton. Batman, who is currently Damian Wayne, asks him why is he helping them. Brainiac says he collects knowledge of the universe, and if the universe is to be destroyed, he won't be able to collect anything. The heroes decide to help stop Darkseid and the Undead Gods and they attempt to find allies across the universe. Meanwhile, back with Darkseid, Sinestro's ring flies off his finger, and recognizes that Darkseid has the power to instill great fear, and dubs him a Yellow Lantern. So not only Darkseid being almost stronger than Superman, actually he is stronger than Superman, stronger than Superman, one of the most powerful beings gets a power boost, By being an undead Yellow Lantern. Wow. Now, this issue wasn't as action-packed as I thought it was going to be. Because it's building up for what is to come. And I appreciate that very much. Now, one thing I was surprised was how fast and early Sinestro was taken out. I love this comic because it doesn't give anyone plot armor. You make a mistake and you will die. And having Darkseid as a Yellow Lantern will be very interesting. Because, if anything, this means that the Undead Gods will definitely get a power boost here. Anyway, I wonder what allies they will seek, and wonder what will be next. Because, I mean, at this point, across the stars, I'm trying to think. Maybe the Blue Beetles? Uh, not the, Well, they're like the same thing with the Scarabs. Maybe uh, where Hawkgirl lives. I'm trying to think of other planets, because... For the life of me, I can't think of any. Although, it would be interesting to get Lobo in here. I don't think we've seen Lobo in uh, Deceased, but that would be amazing. Anyway, uh, that's it for comics, and we're going to be talking about shows. Now, first on the list, we're going to be talking about She-Hulk, and how both episodes 5 and 6 wanted me to pierce my eardrums with Titanica. I think that's her name, but anyway... I haven't really seen her in the comics to really make an opinion on if they changed her character or not, but her voice is absolutely annoying. Like, really, really annoying. God, I mean, just, it was horrible. I wanted to skip the entire episode. Both episodes, actually, when she was in it. Now, the subplots were not that great, and for the bait and switch for the supposed Daredevil episode was not appreciated. I get they're really trying to troll the haters, but there is a right way to troll the haters and a wrong way, and this really feels like the wrong way because everyone else is getting dragged into it, and it's just like, why are we getting tortured with this? Now, I didn't mind the wedding episode so much, but like I said, with the whole Daredevil tease, they could have left it for the after the wedding episode, and subjecting us to Titanica's voice was even worse. Now, I get this was supposed to be like a sitcom type episode and stuff like that, where we get to know like the real Jennifer Walters, and like I said, I appreciate that, but they should really like put a great episode with Daredevil before that, or at least like I said, left the tease for after that episode, so everyone has something to look forward to. Uh, the whole subplot with Mr. Immortal was eh, Was it? I like I said. I really hope this show finds its footing and we finally reveal who the real villain of the series is because, honestly, this show is really losing its charm quickly. I mean, they could get it back with Wong again, but I don't know. Anyway, I hope it gets better and I hope we do not get tortured with Titanic again because, God, that would be horrible. Anyway, uh, next we're going to be talking about Andor. And I gotta say, I think the show was wise... ...for them to have a three-episode premiere. Now, uh, the show takes place in the year 5 BBY... ...which is five years before the Battle of Yavin... ...AKA five years before New Hope. Now, I liked how the episodes were interconnected... ...and were mainly about setting up the series to kick off... ...so once we get to episode four, there's not like a slow period. Now, I will say this. If we had to wait three weeks for all three episodes to come out regularly... The reviews for the show would not have been so good. Now, Cassian in this uh, series for three episodes so far is looking for his sister and we get the name of the planet he originated from. Now, this planet was a failed mining planet and he actually came from a tribe of what looks like to be mostly kids. Now, I don't know why uh, his tribe was mostly kids, no idea, but anyway, during these flashbacks... We see that a Republic ship fell down to the planet, and when the group of warrior kids went to explore it, one of them was killed by a survivor. They ended up killing the survivor, and Cassian goes into the ship to basically explore it and see if he can take revenge. Two pirates uh, come in, find him, and one of them is the woman we see in the show, the older woman. And this episode, she's a lot younger because, of course, it's a flashback. They basically knock him out and take him with them because once the Republic comes, they will destroy the people for killing uh, the Republic crews and the officer that they had killed and that they're going to be looking for someone to blame. So this is interesting for his backstory because it kind of shows you how the corruption was early on or the supposed corruption. Now, what was happening with the tribes and the kids on the planet, especially since a lot of things were said to be toxic. No idea. I'm curious to see what became of a lot of these kids and wonder if he's actually going to find his sister. Now, one thing I will say is this episode did a fantastic job with going back and forth between the flashbacks and basically present day. Now, of course, in present day, he basically looking for a sister, ends up killing two guards and just lets a whole thing loose of a down road spiral. As the guards from the planet tried to find him, one thing I loved was how their superior told them to drop it because he didn't want the Empire to get involved since they had the review. Now, I find it funny because it's kind of like uh, similar to how people don't want to admit that stuff is going on, especially if it's like a city thing, because state will get involved. And when states get involved, like everything gets cut. Now, I love the fact that it went from being uh, two dead guards in the first episode to almost like 12 or 11 at the end of episode 3. Now, I'm wondering how this will set up everything else because once that uh, officer goes back to his original planet, his superior is going to notice a lot more dead bodies. And I'm wondering if we're going to see an Inquisitor show up or... Tarkin or one of the higher-ups in the Empire just berate them and cause for a scene or a public example. Who knows? I'm excited for it, and I'm excited to see where Endor goes. And I honestly can't wait for episode four. Anyway, uh, that's it for Endor. We're going to be talking about House of Dragon episode five. Now, this episode was frustrating. Very... Very frustrating for many reasons. Now, of course, the beginning was amazing. Damon, as always, being unpredictable, kills his wife, and it was nuts how she basically just died. Like, he beat her to death with a freaking rock after I want to say he caused the horse to paralyze her for a minute, but it was crazy, and I loved how. She basically turned her into a stepping stone. And everyone was like, oh my god, that was the fastest introduction we've ever seen. And it might be in Game of Thrones history. Anyway, uh, Lenore Valerian, who's also sleeping with his guard and turns out to be gay, uh, is basically happy with the agreements that him and Renera come up with. Because the fact that they both want to date who they want to date and be with whoever they want to be with and are just going to stay together for the public. Now, I will say this, the queen not-to-be is very worried for her son and for good reason because of all the knives that be pointed at him. Now, I will say this, one thing that surprised me and it was sad to see was Sir Christian and how he poured his heart out to Renera and offered to run away together to be together for love and Renera basically told him that she cannot because of his of not his, her responsibility. Now I was really sad to see his heart broken, but then that sadness turned to anger and frustration in the next scenes because of what happened next. Now, uh, listen. who was very sad to see her father go, is basically rattling her brain about whether or not it was right to trust Renera about what she said about not uh, sleeping with anybody. Now, one thing I will say is the fact that I was very happy to see him go, because I felt like Otto was the contender for Littlefinger, but another contender came up for the role, and that was Larry Strong, who is the master of whispers for this time period. Anyway, I found it very interesting how easily he got into Alyssa's ear about Renara and about the tea. She decides to question uh, Sir Christian, and she played the frickin' pronoun game and got him to confess. I'm like, let her finish. Let her finish her words to know exactly who she is talking about. But no, go ahead and confess. I was literally banging my head against the wall. I was like, no, no. Oh, God. I mean, out of everybody, Sir Christian was the one to screw everything up. Uh, I think this is the only time I actually wanted to shoot him. Anyway, uh, she basically, during uh, the ceremony to where they're... Uh, Ranera and Lenore is going to be red, not red, wed. God, I cannot control my words today. (laughs) Anyway, uh, she shows up wearing green. And the dress looks like uh, Fiona's dress from uh, Shrek. Anyway, uh, and wearing green means something in her house. It basically means she's going off to war. And this sends a message that she is going to be challenging Ranera's. Throne rights, especially with her son. Now, Damon does not show any remorse for killing his wife and has caught the eye of Lady Val- Valerian, Lenore's sister. And it's funny because apparently everybody wants a piece of this dude. Seriously. Now, Lenore's lover is happy about this rem- arrangement because this means that they can be together and Renera's lover who's also her Kingsguard, can basically stay with her, and everything's looking up and up, and even I'm like, okay, this is actually a really good arrangement, and this might actually be a good wedding in Westeros. Yeah, I was eating those words a few minutes later, and he went over there to basically say, hey, if you protect uh, my lover, I'll protect your lover, and we can have some arrangement made. Which, I mean, is fair, true and true, I mean, that seems like a pretty good deal, but one thing I will say is the events afterwards have put a lot of stuff into arguments. A lot of articles being made, and a lot of people fighting each other on Facebook, because people are wondering why Sir Christian killed Joffrey Lamoth. Lamoth. Lamouth. I actually don't know how to pronounce this guy's last name. Anyway, because people were saying, "Oh, he killed him because he had a discrimination, because he's gay." A lot of people are saying he killed him to keep one less person knowing their secret. And honestly, I believe he did it just because of the frustration of the anger building up inside him. He saw red and wanted to punch somebody. And Dr- Joffrey Lamoth Lam- I'm just going to call him Lamoth was the first thing he punched. And he killed him, which was kind of sad because I'm like... This puts everything into a tailspin, especially with Mr. Valerian now having resentment against Sir Christian. Now, Sir Christian was in the end credit where they were showing what's next, and the next episode is going to be a 10-year jump. So he's still alive. Whether or not he was sent up to the north or banished or whatever is yet to be seen, but I can't wait to see it. Now, I have no idea how everything else is going to be affected with this 10-year jump because it is 10 years. No, Every prediction I can throw at you may change, may go out the window because, again, a lot of things can change. Now, I will say this is I've seen a few articles mention that uh, this show had fell into the trope of killing gay characters and making them have an unhappy ending and I really think that Argument is really dumb because let's be honest who in Westeros really gets a happy ending and when has a wedding gone as planned? I mean, really, this is Game of Thrones, everyone is up to the freaking cutting table, and the only people we know for sure that isn't going to die yet is uh Renera and Damon. That's about it. No, wait, uh, listen, son, too. That's about it. Everyone else is up for their freaking cutting board table, and we don't know who else is going to die. Anyway, uh, that's it for that episode. Like I said, can't wait for this, or actually today's episode when it drops. And hopefully I'll be talking about it next week. Now, uh, I will be reviewing the past two episodes of Ring of Power, because I'm going to be waiting for next week to do so. Anyway, moving on to Harley Quinn... Season 3 finale. And I gotta say, I was very disappointed in this finale. I was expecting a lot more, and honestly didn't feel like a finale at all. It felt rushed. The previous episode, Ivy basically taking over everything, was a great episode. But this one really felt weak, and with Harley joining the Bat family after Batman is arrested for tax evasion, it's just eh. I just really hope the next season is much, much better. Now, uh, moving on, I'm going to be talking about the Loki Season 2 trailer. Now, in the trailer, Loki talks about how he's seemingly getting being pulled back through time. And he has seen terrible things, including a war to come. Now, he goes ahead and works with the TVA again. But at this point, I don't know if he's working for the TVA he's worked with before. Or the new one that he accidentally got into the new dimension in after Sylvie pushed him in. And he was like, oh my god, this is happening. And Owen Wilson's character was like, who are you? No idea if it's going to be that uh, those group or the previous group he worked with. Anyway, uh, one thing that's interesting is we did get a glimpse of Sylvie and a bunch of statues of Kang. And I believe Kang will be the heavy feature in the season. And we'll get a lot of the background on him and what's been happening. Especially since Kang the Conqueror, is supposed to make a big appearance in uh, Ant-Man Mania, And this will most likely lead to the upcoming Avengers movie, especially since he's talking about a war coming. Now, from my understanding, Phase 5 will be a lot more structured in setting up what is to come, and I'm excited about it. I'm very excited about it. Now, I really didn't see Henry Cavall in this trailer, and I'm wondering if they're saving him for the second trailer or something else to come, or they're making it a surprise. Either way, I'm excited for it, and can't wait to see how far the MCU will go, especially with Secret Wars coming. Anyway, uh, that's it for TV shows. We're going to be jumping right into movies. Now, the teaser for the new Hellraiser movie was released, and I see a lot of people complaining about how they switched the gender for Pinhead. Now, I was one of these people until someone in the comments brought up that this was actually stated in the book that the gender for Pinhead was never revealed. And they actually quoted the book. Now, going off this, this was very interesting because I had always assumed that Pinhead, in both the book and the movie, was male. Now, I'm just going off of this because they based the movie on the book... So I figured, okay, so he's a dude in the movie, so he's a dude in the book. But in the actual book that was quoted, and I actually looked this up, he's described to have a high-pitched female voice, but it they couldn't determine whether the guy was a dude or not. Especially with a bunch of pins, he basically had a unisexed uh, face. Now this is interesting because this means the new movie isn't gender-swapping anything. That they're making it their own interpretation because the book never really states the gender of Pinhead. Now, this actually is pretty cool, because it kind of puts the lid on the whole gender swap thing. Is he? Di- is this Pinhead different from the movies? Yeah, because this is taking the interpretation of the original book. So, I'm actually excited for this movie now, and I'll actually give it a chance. And I really hope that this movie brings a justice. Now, will this Pinhead be as cool as the original? Who knows? Probably not. I mean, the dude's voice was like, really deep and was really scary so kind of hard to do that with a female voice and especially from what we saw for the trailer but who knows I'm excited to see what's next now a trailer that I was not expecting and I was very surprised to see this man back is M. Night Shyamalan's new movie Knock at the Cabin now this actually seems like a good movie and is starring Rupert Grint aka Ron Weasley and Dave Bautista. Now this is also based off another story like Old was, but from the trailer, the dialogue actually seems human and not robotic. I remember seeing old and I'm like, who talks like this? What is this dialogue? I mean heck Split wasn't this bad and glass wasn't this bad. Okay, maybe glass dialogue, but I mean they were in like a setting which it made sense. Not kids talking like they were robotic. Anyway, uh, the trailer depicts a gay couple with their adopted daughter and how they're vacationing in a cabin when strangers break in, tie them up, and tell them that the world is going to end unless they make a sacrifice. Now, the story already has me hooked. I'm curious to see what happens. And I'm really hoping that this is another split and not another happening. Because if this turns out to be another happening, I'm going to really feel angry because when it comes to M. Night Shyamalan, It's basically a shot in the dark. It's either going to be really good, eh, or really bad. Glass was more of the eh category, but who knows. I'm hoping that it's really great because when this man does a movie right, he does it right. Anyway, uh, that's it for movies. We're going to be talking about video games. Now, yesterday, well, was it yesterday or I think it was yesterday or the day before. It was Sly Cooper's 20th anniversary. Yep. 20 years I personally can't believe it's been 20 years and I feel old (laughs) anyway uh, they released the game on their classic uh, PS collection and right now I'm replaying the old one the first one actually and I'm having a blast and it's amazing to go back to these games that I spent hours upon hours replaying them begging my parents to buy the next one and so forth And just having a blast. And these games meant a lot to me growing up. Especially when I was bored. The story was also cool. The characters were wacky. Playing as Murray, Sly, Bentley. And especially when it came to the third one. With me being able to play multiple other characters with multiple different abilities. I loved how in the third one, you basically uh, got to have mini games where you can play with friends and how hard the first one was because you get hit once and you died. Yep, not the friendliest game, especially when you're like 4 or 5 and getting frustrated, but still a great game in itself, and 2 was personally my favorite. Now, I understand that Sucker Punch is currently working on Ghost of Tsushima 2 right now, and probably doesn't have any other games under their umbrella that they're working on, but I really hope that they attempt to get Sly Cooper 5 off the ground, or at the very least, make a Sly Cooper game that rewrites the fourth one, because that one really sucked. Now, Sony has been buying a lot of new studios, and they should use that those studios to revive some of their old franchises. Jack and Dexter, Twisted Metal, but most importantly, Sly Cooper. Now, who knows? I hope that Insomniac Games, who made uh, Ratchet & Clank makes a new Sly Cooper game because they can make it really well. Now I understand that they're working on Wolverine and the next Spider-Man game but once they're done I really hope they set their eyes to one of the old franchises because they definitely need to be revived and it could be a really great game and I'm really hoping that another Sly Cooper game will be released and their raccoon symbol will fly again. Anyway uh, moving on from Sly Cooper I'm going to be talking about this very very interesting game now if any of you band geeks out there wished at any time that there was a guitar hero game for the trombone to give it justice well the wait is over because there is a game called trombone champ where you basically use the keyboard or i guess a mod or whatever unless you modded your own trombone to play the instrument in this game and unlock cards of famous players who played the instrument. Now, the trailer is horrible. I mean, just terrible. And yet, there's something interesting about it. Now, I don't know if this game was made as a joke, because the music sounds, like, really bad, like, atrocious, but then again, there is a medium for everybody, so if you want to play the trombone like a champ, because it's the instrument you never got to play, here's your chance. Who knows, maybe they'll release like a a, tr- a toy trombone or a playable trombone for the game. I doubt it, but who knows, I've been wrong before. Anyway, moving on, a new Shovel Knight is coming to uh, the Switch called Shovel Knight Dig. Now, this is also coming to Steam and Apple Arcade, and I've never really played Shovel Knight, but hear that it's an excellent game series, and I actually might pick this one up will I pick it up for my Switch? Maybe. I'll probably pick it up for my iPhone. Makes it easier, and if I'm on a plane, I can't really pull out my Switch. I'll just be pulling up my uh, iPhone, but with the new iOS 16 draining my battery like no crazy, who knows? I'm hoping they fix that because, yeah, it's draining my battery like crazy. Anyway, moving on, Miles Morales is coming to PC, and I cannot wait for people who haven't played this game to experience how great it is and how it expands with the extra new superpowers, smoother swing mechanics, and honestly, I can't wait for the mods. Because the mods in Spider-Man were great, and when they get their hands on Miles, it's even going to be funnier. Anyway, uh, moving on, I'm actually going to be talking about the bad experience I just had with my Nintendo Switch. Now, I've been playing Paper Mario for the Nintendo 64 for about a couple weeks, Getting up to chapter 3 and all that stuff, and once I exited the game and was charging my Switch after it died, I come back to my save file, and it's gone. Absolutely gone. Now, it's telling me I have to start for the beginning, which is crazy, because when I looked up this problem, if anyone else had experienced, they had! And Nintendo supposedly fixed this problem, which they didn't. Now, this is frustrating because it's like, I don't even want to play Paper Mario anymore because I don't want this to happen again. And I'm not even going to restart it. And even if they did fix this problem, I'm honestly not going to restart it because it's kind of like I lost all my progression. Why would I go back? Seriously, I have to go through all the introductions, everything again. And I'm not looking forward to that because, I mean, the beginning is slow and I don't want to do that again. I really don't. So much dialogue in the game too, because I mean it's kind of like an RPG. Anyway, uh, that's it for Nintendo Switch and the bad experience I had. I will say this though, uh, they did they do have some really good games that haven't given me any trouble. Yoshi Story, Mario Kart, Doctor Mario. I already had Mario sixty four, so that never gave me any problems. Uh, the Mario Party, Star Fox, and a lot of these some other games that I have never played before. I can't wait for them to add gold, uh, gold mem- no, not gold member, uh, goldeneye to this, uh, entire thing and with multiplayer too. Anyway, uh, that's it for video games. We're going to be moving on to nerd theories now. I'm just gonna say this again. This is going to be my opinion. So if you disagree on me on this, that's okay. Everyone has their own opinion. Going off of that, I'm gonna jump right in. And I'm going to talk about how I think we're going to get another Last of Us game. Number three, not another prequel or a spinoff, but an actual number. But not the way we want it. I really think because there's a lot of articles I'm seeing trying really hard to get the audience to change their mind about Abby. And they had supposedly added Abby to the first game in the background to make everyone feel bad for her. And I really think they're trying very hard, paying people to write articles saying people had changed their mind about Abby, and so forth, that the next Last of Us game will either be mostly or at least 50% an Abby game, with Ellie being the other half or maybe another person that we've never been introduced to. Or the kid Abby's with, who knows. And I really think... That would be extremely, extremely dumb if they do this because of how divided the second Last of Us game made fans. Those who liked Abby and those who absolutely despise the character. Now, depending on your view, in my opinion, I think there's a lot more people who despise Abby than those who support her. Especially when it comes to those who actually play the video game. Now, again, going back to The Last of Us 2, I understand why they did it, why they killed Joel. It's to tell a story, but I honestly did think they did it the wrong way, especially with the whole bait-and-switch they've been doing with the trailers previously, with having Joel in the story and all that stuff. A lot of people really love Joel and related to him. And to kill him off that easy and having us watch it... That hatred built, and it wasn't going away. Now, in my opinion, and again, my opinion, I hate the character. I really hate Abby, and I really hate that she got away. And if Naughty Dog wanted to see what people really thought about Abby, they should have made the ending a multiple choice or a decision, whether or not we wanted to continue play as Abby or play as Ellie and have them fight. I honestly think that would have been better because that would have gave Naughty Dog an actual, like, hey, we're giving the players a choice here of what they wanted to do. But anyway, it I don't know. In my opinion, I really don't know if they're going to do this or not. I think that they're going to. And it really sucks that they could have made the ending optional, collected that data, and then based that data off of what they were going to do next with the next game. Because like I said I really think there are more Abby haters and if they push Abby to be uh, the main character it may not do so well. It really may not do so well for the game especially when there's a lot more players who hate Abby than there are those who like her. And like I said before in no way did I hate the game well okay mostly but it still moved me. I still felt immersed to find the answers to find out what was going to happen. Even the Abby parts, even though I did jump off the roof a couple of times because, again, hated her, but honestly, her campaign was not that bad either. It did feel dry, and a lot of things that I saw and I hated was a lot of critics who had general like criticism for the game, uh, constructive criticism, basically were overlooked for the amount of hatred steamed from this game and the amount of Abby haters. Now, when it came to the, her gameplay, it ref- legit felt like it was dry. It didn't carry any weight. I really didn't connect with a lot of these characters in any way. And it felt rushed. Well, I mean, as rushed as you can put a game that is making you play as a character that basically killed a fan favorite. Anyway, I really want to be wrong about there being a Last of Us 3 game and it being an Abby game. But like I said, with all the articles I'm seeing... I don't know, and I'm really on the edge on whether or not I will buy it. If it's an Abbey story, I really don't think I'm going to buy it unless it continues Ellie story. I really want an, another Ellie game, but a standalone game, or at least being an Ellie story in itself. No Abbey and none of that, but who knows? If, it, if it's to be, it's to be. If it's not, well, we'll see how those sales go. Anyway, uh, moving on. Now, going back to another thing, and again, this is my opinion, is with Sony doing a 20-year anniversary for Sly Cooper, I believe they're testing the grounds for the community to see if Sly Cooper still has any fans out there. And if they see that there's a significant amount of people playing the old games, that they're most likely using this and using this information to see about bringing the franchise back but doing so in this way to see if it's profitable. I hope that those who play the game introduces it to their friends, their family, introduces them to how great these games were, and show that, hey, Sony, everyone's replaying these games over and over again. We want the franchise to come back. And if it does, that's fantastic. We did it. But, again, it's not going to happen unless we show Sony that we want this game franchise to continue, and to make another game. Again, that's just my theory, and I really hope that I'm right, and there's a lot of people playing the 20th anniversary celebration game. Anyway, uh, moving on, now I'm going to be talking about Phase 5, and I believe that Phase 5 will start to kill off characters to make Kang a much bigger threat. Now, it wouldn't make sense if they did this, whether or not killing off new characters or carry, killing off established characters. Because when Thanos first came in, he basically bodied the Hulk, killed Loki, and basically just one, uh, one shot Thor before he basically got um, Stormbreaker. And if this happens, we're going to be looking at Kang in a whole new light instead of, oh, why should I be scared of this guy? And I believe they're going to do this through the new Ant-Man and Wasp movie because from the trailer, it looks like Ant-Man is beat up pretty badly, which he hadn't been really in a lot of his movies. I mean, he's been injured, but nothing to the extent of what we saw in some of the leaked trailer and from the photos. And like I said, maybe the casualties will start in this movie and more characters will end up dying. Now, if they do end up killing a bunch of characters from the old guard and some from the new that characters that are introduced, I believe that it's okay because everything will be reset in Secret Wars. Now, like I said, this is just a theory. I could be wrong, or I could be right. That's the great thing about opinions. Anyway, uh, moving on to current events. Uh, hurricane Ian. Not Ian. Ivan? Or is it Ian? I might actually have to look that up. But anyway, uh, the hurricane that's In the Gulf, I just looked up, it is Ian, is still causing uncertainty on where it's going to go. It may or may not be heading towards the panhandle. And if it does, that means that I will be evacuating with everybody else. And most likely there will not be another episode next week. I really hope it doesn't hit us. I really hope that that doesn't happen. But if it does and you don't see an episode from me next week, you know why. Again, I hopefully everything will be okay and to get updated. I will definitely want people to follow up with me on TikTok. And if those of you who haven't been following me on TikTok, please do. My TikTok is at Johnny Fuente. That is it. J O H N N Y F U E N T. That is my TikTok. You will see the same logo on my podcast on there. So please like subscribe and follow and I'll keep you guys updated through there. Anyway, uh, as of today's episode, my birthday will actually be tomorrow. And I'm excited to see what this new year holds for me, especially with me waiting to hear back from law schools. And to see if I got accepted. Hopefully I do and start my next journey of my life. Or if I'm not, I always have a plan B. Well, anyway, I'm grateful that I have the opportunity to do this show and can't wait to keep on doing it and make it bigger. Well, uh, that's it for today's episode. I'll see you guys hopefully next week. And again, we'll keep you guys updated on my TikTok. Anyway, sayonara. See you later. And you guys have a blessed day. Goodbye.